Okay, well, let's jump back in. This is a class on demons, demonology, trying to kind of get to the bottom of what it is we think about demons. And we're kind of doing a historical survey of the various influences that took place on the Jewish people. And we're getting now into kind of New Testament times. But quickly, one, okay, so one of the things we kind of need to figure out is what the word demon means. And uh, in the Greek language, that word more or less meant a god. And over time, it sort of evolved to mean kind of a spirit, uh, the soul of a deceased person. And then malig- um, not malignant, that means cancerous, right? What's the word? Malevolent. Malevolent. A kind of malevolent or evil spirit. And the, the basic Christian position is quite simple. Uh, there is one God, and then there is, a, uh, the, there is a category of angels, right, of which demons are fallen angels. And so we do ascribe the existence of other spirit beings. So, uh, for example, uh, Baal is the most popular false god in the Old Testament. We think Baal is real in the sense that he is a demonic spirit, but he's not a god. Um, remember also that the word God can be used with a lowercase or generic quality, and we don't think that's wrong. So people sometimes will actually say, you might be confronted with people that say this, the Bible admits that there are other gods. It says, you shall worship no other gods. Now, people will say that. That, that isn't what the Bible, the Bible isn't saying that there are other gods. The Bible is saying that there are these demonic spiritual beings that people give God status to, okay? And and so that's what we reject. All the way now into the world of Socrates. Um, Socrates is important and interesting because um, he, uh, he was said to have a demon. He used this word daemonion. That's the Greek word that we kind of shortened to demon. And so what did he mean that by that? I am certain that there is some fundamentalist pastor somewhere who will tell you that all philosophy is totally corrupted and useless because Socrates was a demon worshiper. I am certain that, that that sermon and that pastor exists. Um, but that isn't really what Socrates was talking about. So I just kind of want to mention it because I'm certain that, that this is one of those topics that in certain circles... Um, there, there will be people who will talk about Socrates is, Socrates is, that I say, anyway, Socrates is demon, okay? And so basically the bottom line is that Socrates, uh, claimed to be guided by a daemonion. And that was, uh, the reason why he was charged with interesting new demons or gods. See, the Greeks had a pantheon of gods. Like, they all agreed there was, I don't know, Zeus and Mars and Jupiter or whatever they were. I don't care who they were, but whoever they were, they had a, a pantheon, right? And so, Socrates is a pretty important guy. So when he's claiming to be led by a daemonion, people are saying, wait a minute, you're introducing a new god to the pantheon. Who do you think you are? So he actually got in trouble for this. He claimed that this daemonion gave him a sign And when, as the result of these signs, he gave counsel to his companions as to their actions, those who followed his advice were rewarded with success, and those who rejected it had cause for regret. So he's claiming to have some kind of supernatural uh, guidance on the things that he says to people, like the advice that he gives and so on and so forth. 
But it's not really a personal spirit being, which isn't to say that he wasn't under what we might call a lowercase d demonic influence. Because uh, again, we're kind of all or nothing on this topic. That That's kind of one of the main ta- takeaways I want you guys to have on this topic is Christians are kind of all or nothing on this. You know, it's either of God or it's not. And if it's not, then it's in the demonic realm. Okay, one one way or another. Um, but he says he says this other people looking at Socrates's demon says this. It's a rather a vague apprehension of some good or ill result that will follow on certain actions. It is, as it were, an inward voice coming from his own individual tact, which, as a boy, Socrates had carefully cultivated. He's of the opinion, that is a, another historian, uh, that by the general approbation of the most competent judges, it has been established as a fact that the daemonion cannot mean a genius or separate and distinct person, but only some supernatural voice or divine revelation in general. And kind of the bottom line is that even though Socrates would talk about having a divine and supernatural sign, it appears to be, according to this author, uh, impossible from the data presented to affirm that Socrates conceived of his daemon or daemonion as a personal spirit being. Now, why is that important? Well, it's kind of important because we do want to get Socrates right. I mean, he's a very important figure in Western history. And there are going to be people who will say, aha, see, all philosophy is demonic. You know, and, and that, that wouldn't be our take at all. Um, as I've said before, Luther famously said that philosophy is the handmaiden to theology. Y'all ever heard that phrase? Philosophy is the handmaiden to theology, which means that philosophy is what, uh, you know, does the laundry for theology, okay? Philosophy combs the hair of theology, okay? Are you getting my, my point? You know, there's a, there, People will say, oh, philosophy, it's the most amazing thing. Don't you know Luther said it's the handmaiden of theology? I'm like, do you know what a handmaiden did? Okay, there's a priority here, people. Anyway, um, but that said, I don't discount philosophy or its importance. You know what? To, to make it super relevant, uh, there just this week was a debate between two world-class apologists who have talked about each other one more than the other for decades, but they would never debate. And uh, it was James White and William Lane Craig. Don't know if you've seen that yet. Yeah. Um, and they debated a topic called Molinism, which is God's middle knowledge and the, the existence of evil and kind of rationalization of evil. I'm not going to go into it, but I think the main argument that one person was making is that we have to deal with the biblical text first, what the Bible actually says about the sovereignty of God, you know, the all-knowing nature of God, um, and therefore the the way in which God is not responsible for evil, but he can use evil, da-da-da. But you begin with biblical text. I would argue the other person really is philosophical in nature. He begins with philosophy and tries to, you know, make that work within biblical text. So it is very relevant how we think about philosophy. And so therefore someone like Socrates is very important because he's one of the you know, the principal Western philosophers. And so this little idea, I don't know how popular it is, but this kind of concept that Socrates had a demon is important. And I'll make another point of application. Today, um, people will talk about sort of the way in which they hear from God, are inspired by God, um, etc. And I think we should be careful about that. For example... 
Uh, is anyone familiar with the book Jesus Calling? You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. Jesus Calling. All right. What's the problem with Jesus Calling? Cindy, do you want to say? Right, it's someone's imagination. The author claims to be essentially speaking on behalf of Jesus himself, right? She claims to have received what you could really only call revelation, uh, you know, for, um, you know, for, for something, uh, you know, from Jesus himself. And so that's a, I think they've got a sequel out. <laughs> Is that what you call a second book? A sequel? Anyway, there, there's like all kinds of Jesus callings now. It's a cottage industry, if you will. Um, it's, well, it's more than a cottage industry. It's a million-dollar industry where people are claiming divine revelation. Um, and so what Socrates seems to be getting at is that he had these sort of intuitions, almost like a muse, right? He had these sort of intuitions, these kind of voices, not a personal spirit being, but something that was guiding him. And so one of the just points that I would land on would be to say we've got to be careful how we think about voices in our head, not in a schizophrenic sense, but just like, I think that God is calling me to do this, or I think that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, I think this is what God is saying. Um, we have to be careful to make sure that when we're discerning those voices and intuitions and nudges, that it is actually of God. And um, so then there's always a question of, well, how would you know, right? Um, and Paul does say that there are people who are gifted with the spirit, with the, uh, not spirit, but with the gift of discernment. But also I'd say we, we need to know the Bible well enough so that if we're hearing something that is an intuition that is coming from the spiritual realm, we have that we, we have knowledge. We have built up our knowledge so that we can discern on our sort of our own, if you will, through the scripture, whether something is of God or not. Um, and by the way, have Christian friends in your life that you can call and say, I think I'm hearing this. I think I'm being called to leave my job and start and do this. Or I think I'm being called to do this or whatever that might be. But I am generally cautious and a little weary of how a lot of the evangelical world will casually speak about opening themselves up, a la Socrates, to these kind of spirit kind of the spiritual world that will that they'll gain insight from that it's not something lutherans tend to do but some of you have come from more mainstream evangelicalism or the charismatic movement that's kind of de rigueur right would you say i mean it's very normal for people to sort of say well i could do a pro and con list on a piece of paper to make my decision or i could just open myself up and see kind of where things go you know like where, where i'm i've sort of led and by the way, I think we ought to pray about big decisions and things like that. I'm not saying that. But there is some kind of fine line where we need to be careful that our intuition is coming from an, a, a source that does not want what is best for us. Um, real quickly, in the Lutheran church, when we talk about a call to ministry, it's a threefold call. Okay, The first call is your internal call. Like you have a sense that you are called by God to the ministry. The second is you have a local, your local congregation will say things to you like, hey, have you ever thought about ministry? Okay. And then the third is um, the church-wide 
synod or denomination of which you're affiliated, they go through a process with you where they say, yes, we have evaluated you and, and, and you're good to go. You get our check of approval. But if, if one of those three doesn't check out, then you, we, we would say you don't have the call. And so I think that's a healthy way to think about spiritual influences in our, in our own lives and how to discern that. You know, have a kind of concentric circles of Christians in your life as well as your own knowledge of the Bible so you're not led around by a demon. Bottom line, okay? Um, there are also oracles, which I'm not going to dwell on here. Um, there is a very interesting paragraph, though, and oracles were basically these places where the Greeks would go, the most popular, you know, you've probably heard of the Oracle of Delphi, right? Um, and the most famous form of oracle is that in which the prophetess, you would have prophetesses, uh, more frequently than a prophet, a man, becomes entranced and gives utterance to an inspired message. Okay, if you're hanging around with somebody and they become entranced, like uh, Gozer the Gozerian from Ghostbusters, or is it Dozer the Dozerian? Anyway, uh, and they become tranced and they start giving messages, just, just like leave as quickly as you can, all right? Put that key in the ignition and hit the gas, okay? It's the pedal on the right. Go as quickly as you can. But, so they would become entranced. They'd give this inspired message. It's the type of spirit possession of which some instances are mentioned in the Bible. The fact that the spirits believed to be operative in these cases were fre frequently known as demons, the Greek, the Greek word for demon, brings them into connection to our subject. But again, that word demon means different things. Okay, It could mean God. It later becomes meaning benevolent. There were many, many Greek oracular shrines. And this is what's interesting to me. This, this historian of this book says the Christian fathers regarded uh, the, the, Delph the Delphi oracle, the Delphic oracle, with favor, and they were anxious that it should confess the divinity of Christ. Okay, this is kind of one of those classic ways in which the church is hoping to sort of um, take over something in the world and use it to its benefit. So it's like, well, hey, if they're prophet, if there if there are people prophesying here, think how great it would be if they would prophesy Christ. I don't think that's generally speaking a good strategy. You know what I mean? It, it would be kind of like saying, um, what's the guy's name that did the uh, the Astro World thing? Travis something? Travis Scott. That'd be like saying, if we could only turn Travis Scott, think of how powerful that would be for the kingdom. You know. Now that's not un that's not untrue. What's that? Oh Kanye, I mean, he has definitely won many to the kingdom. There's no doubt about that with his with his Sunday services. Um, Marilyn Manson, yes. Yes, yes. Hillsong, I mean, you got y'all, y'all get this, okay? Y'all understand? Um, no, but I, I think I think this is a kind of flaw. Christians, the Christians are always kind of going, well, if only, and then we end up like so excited when like Chris Pratt is a Christian. Hey, man, I like Chris Pratt. I think Chris Pratt's a really good dude, and he's he seems to be a really bona fide Christian. That's great. But we're like, all right, like we're gonna win the day. We got one guy in Hollywood. Amidst a bunch of sickos, right? Like millions more sickos. Millions might be a slight exaggeration. We got one guy who's like not totally bought in. You know what I mean? It's kind of, we kind of shows desperation on our part, you know? Oh yeah, he does. Yeah. I mean,
I'm gonna jump ahead. There's this whole section in here which I actually did read. I'm not sure why. It's it's called Teachings of Jewish Apocryphal Literature, and there's some interesting stuff in here. The problem is that I'm 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 really more interested in what the Bible has to say than Jewish apocryphal literature. Um, what a bunch of rabbis speculated about demons isn't really uh, germane because it didn't end up in holy writ, right? So I, I'm going to kind of skip past that and get into the New Testament now. But I saw two hands go up, Chris and then Donna. Oh, or uh, Steve. Apocryphal, um, uh, well, you know, uh, that's a good question. Um, it, it's non-canonical. Uh, and it, it, When we talk about the Apocrypha, we're talking about texts that are non-scriptural, non-canonical. Yeah, but I, I, but I don't know that that's the exact meaning of that phrase, to be honest with you. Um, I think it means, I think it also would refer to things like, um, so like the Jews understand that you have the Old Testament or what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, but then they have the Talmud and the Midrash, which are these apocryphal writings, I think is that the understanding. So they're they're religious in nature, but what a bunch of schools of rabbis think about different topics. And so like your average Orthodox Jew today, they'll spend a lot of time certainly memorizing the scripture, but they'll also know what all the rabbinical schools have thought on the big topics, you know, and that's like, that's like blood sport, you know, and because and people will find themselves, well, I'm in this rabbinical school or I'm in that rabbinical school. And in Jesus' day, that would have been very important as well, which is why when he's out calling disciples to form his own school, Right, it wasn't it wasn't a school of sycophants that were chasing the best rabbis, right? Very very different way, which is good news for you, because uh, you're just an ordinary person that Jesus called to follow him, you know. Okay, Steve. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Interestingly, that even though the apocryphal books were known at the time, say, of the Reformation, they weren't canonized until 1546 at the Council of Trent. So keep that in your back pocket when a Catholic tells you you don't have the whole Bible. You could say, well, for 1,500 years then, Roman Catholics didn't either because it wasn't canonical. Yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll give you some links, brother. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Um, share, share away. Because he has already spoken to us. And so I, I was 
I don't think there's anything really new in us to say to us. Um, and if there is, uh, my challenge to you would be to go from the beginning to the end of the Bible and see if it's already there. Because that's where we kind of start getting into our own interpretation of what we think God might have said to us. And oftentimes, it just leads you on a rabbit trail. And it also leads to, well, God spoke to you, but he didn't speak to me. What's wrong with me? And then you start feeling guilty if you're not getting revelation. And it can just really go down a really, really bad. One thing leads to another, to another, to another. And so I have to be very, very cautious if we saying that God spoke to me. Now, that being said, as we read and understand our Bible, I do completely agree that, um, that the Holy Spirit recalls and brings to mind um, the things of God that are meant for the, um, the, um, uh, the, uh, the Word of God and His Scriptures. So that's as far as I'm going to go on that. But this whole Jesus calling and everything, if you read deep down to it, she, um, she learned from uh, mystics um, how to heal. And so when you start realizing that, it's, you don't really need it. You know, it's kind of like, oh, well, we're going to take the, eat the whole thing and spit out the bones. Well, which bones are you going to spit out? Because they might be different than somebody else's. And so it just it really does lead us away from God and not go towards Yeah. Zachary, quickly. So, you know, the old thing, I think, said, well, I can't, uh, of course, do wine. Yeah. Well, I think uh, you should actually talk. As a pastor, actually, but she's like uh, the metaphor is not the metaphor is not the metaphor. You know, when they come out of this metaphor, mm -hmm. the Bible is the Bible. To actually stop teaching the Bible. That that's Pastor Ashley from Grace Lutheran Church in Montrose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. We're going to actually mention Enoch because Enoch was probably pretty well known to New Testament writers. In fact, it makes an appearance in, um, I can't remember now, I've got it written down, but um, maybe Thessalonians or something. Or Jude. I think Jude mentions Enoch briefly, but. Um, Okay, so yeah, I, no, I want to. I definitely want to affirm. You know, if you just read the first few pages of Jesus Calling as an example, she indicates that this is she's basically publishing private conversations she had with Jesus Himself for all the world to 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 see, and uh, that that should raise some red flags. And um, a, a while back now, we we interviewed someone named Marcia Montenegro who has a ministry. She came out of the New Age movement. Uh, she'd be worth a follow on Facebook or whatever. And uh, she does a fantastic job of exposing um, the techniques of kind of the New Age movement and really occultism. Um, and and um, so she, she writes again. Oh, we did, and I think on that show, we um, did... Uh, uh, we ended. We included a video clip of the guy who more or less invented the modern day enneagram. Now, if you've not heard of the enneagram, keep it that way. But if you have, 
uh, stay away. It's, it's, it's too kind of complicated to explain. But the guy says, he admits that he um, developed this uh, more or less by, uh, I don't know that he uses this particular word, but entering a trance, and there's a phrase for it. What's it? Automatic writing. Automatic writing. Now you might be saying, well, what's the big deal? Automatic writing. What is that? That is spirit-led writing. Okay, that is opening your mind to write what, what you believe to be inspired. A la letting demons do your homework for you. Okay, that's what that is. Um, and so there are movements. I mean, there are major churches that not only promote the Enneagram, they have like, that's like a staff person's job is to like get every new member to figure out what number they are on the Enneagram to put them into uh, certain roles of service in the church. I mean, we never talk about it, so if you've never heard of it, great. But it is not uncommon for churches to hold Enneagram seminars, workshops, to very heavily, to sit around and go, well, I'm a seven. So that's why you and I work really well, because you're a four. It's kind of like a personality test, but not really. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's similar to that. They would say it's not, yeah, they, they, it reduces people to number. And anyway, it's all, but the, the, the guy who, people will claim it's biblical. They claim it goes back to the church fathers. It does not. It does not. Uh, it, it, the, the guy admits that he, it was created through automatic writing. I'd never even heard of automatic writing before I heard about that guy. So you, so definitely look out for trends. If it's trending in evangelicalism today, probably a bad idea. Okay. Yeah. What's that? Generally speaking. Yes. If any, if, yeah, probably. Yes. If it's, if it's trending, Probably. Safe bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Arianism, not the white supremacy type with a Y, but with an I named after Arius, he taught that Jesus was part of the creation. The most highly of vaulted part of creation, but still part of creation. And Athanasius was the church father who fought tooth and nail, was banished from his own city five times. There's a famous saying, Athanasius contra mundo, Athanasius against the world. He was at one point virtually the only bishop fighting for the divinity of Christ. Arianism was very popular, very, it had taken over the church in many respects. So uh, Jehovah's Witnesses would be the quickest, easy example of Arianism as a formalized system. Jehovah's Witnesses reject the Trinity. They reject the divinity of Christ. And so uh, they're modern-day Arians. Unitarians are modern-day Arians in a sense as well. What's that? Oneness, Pente- Oneness Pentecostals. Yeah, they're, they're Trin- like assemblies of, God, assemblies of God is a Trinitarian Pentecostal church, but Oneness Pentecostals like T.D. Jakes, okay? He would be a modern-day Arian as well. So, um, but I think that you're right. There's a casual way in which Arianism is, is, is affirmed by rejecting the divinity of Christ. That your average person will sort of not really thinking about it much, but, you know, I mean, even, even surveys of evangelicals demonstrate that, like, 
a large percentage of evangelicals, like somewhere between 20 and 60 percent, I don't know, but it's a pretty large number, like actually would say, when asked, won't say that Jesus is God, okay? Um, well, they've never been taught, you know, it's, so it's kind of maybe not their fault, but they should do their homework, so. Um, but yeah, so so yes, modern heresy, or all the heresies, like in a sense there's nothing new under the sun. I think that Gnosticism, Gnosticism was very malleable. There are many kinds of Gnosticism, but more or less, not, it comes from the word for Greek, gnosis or knowledge. And the idea was that there was this inner light or inner knowledge that one could cultivate. Some people sort of had it and some people didn't. Like a few people had it, most people didn't. And Gnosticism was kind of particularly evil because it could conform to any religious, you know, in, in any religion encountered, they could be like, oh, well, we'll just merge that into Gnosticism. If you just give a little, then, you know. So, uh, for example, people say the Gospel of John is specifically written against Gnosticism, like all that stuff about light and darkness. That's Gnosticism, like the idea that there's an inner light that can get you out of the, you know, there's a knowledge that can get you out of the darkness. So when he's talking about the light of Christ, or, you know, all, all these, the theme of light and darkness is very much to go against Gnosticism. But Gnosticism in the modern iteration, no one's actually like, no one actually cares about the philosophy of Gnosticism. What they know is that deep within is some truth, and that if they can only find it, then they'll finally find peace, happiness, and joy, and meaning, and purpose, and blah, 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 blah. And our message is, stop looking there. There's nothing there. Jesus says out of the heart comes wickedness and, you know, evil and carnality and da-da-da-da-da. Um, <clears throat> you know, so so look without, uh, you know, for, for all those things. Don't look within. New Ageism is, 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 is sort of a, a version of Gnosticism in many respects. Um, I know I've given this example many times, but I just watched an old Alfred Hitchcock movie, uh, The Trouble with Harry, yeah, in which Shirley MacLaine makes her uh, film de film debut, and really weird movie, by the way. But um, <clears throat> but Shirley MacLaine famously really got into the New Age movement. She made a really stupid movie in which she claims to have looked within and found God. You know, I am God. It, the personal deification of oneself is the is the height in, of the New Age movement, in essence, and that's just Gnosticism. You know. Look within, find God. And we're like, no, 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 God's over there. He's hanging on a cross, okay? You want to see God? That's where he is, right there. Okay, let's jump into the New Testament. And let me just read some things to set some, some terms here. <clears throat> the existence of demons or evil spirits is clearly assumed throughout the synoptic gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, though their origin is never discussed. In this respect, the Gospels are a great contrast to the Jewish apocalyptic literature and to the rabbinic writings, uh, where there are many allusions to the origin of a brood of demons. That's another reason that whole Jewish apocryphal thing didn't appeal to me very much, because it's like a lot of speculation about, well, this demon came from here, and this demon came from here. And the truth is, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of information about it. By the time we get to the New Testament, it's just assumed. Like demons, the spiritual realm, the evil demonic realm, it's just assumed it's a fact of life, and this is how they operate. We have to infer, right? We have to infer what they believed about demons because it's it was just already assumed. They didn't feel the need to give a teaching on it because everyone around them are you know already agreed, right? The synoptic gospels represent the number of evil spirits as being indefinitely large. No discussion upon the subject is recorded, but the cases of so-called demon possessions are so numerous <clears throat> that they imply a belief in the existence of an immense number of 
evil spirits. Uh, according to, to um, this, is, this is the reference. According to a, an historian by the name of Charles, one Enoch, there are more, there's more than one book of Enoch, but one Enoch had more influence on the New Testament than any other apocryphal or apocryphal work. This is amply proved by the passages cited by him. A, a definite resource reference to the book is found in verse 14 of the epistle of Jude. So I'm not very familiar with Enoch, to be honest with you. Um, people bring it up all the time. I don't know if there's some controversy that it speaks to that I need to, I, I guess I need to study more. Oh, okay. Enoch claims to be the Messiah. I didn't know that. Wasn't Enoch like Noah's grandfather or something? Okay. It's like Methusian. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, as far as the present phase of synoptic teaching is concerned, the main influence is doubtless Babylonian. That gets back to that whole topic we talked about before, about like how cultures were referenced by other cultures. So like the gospel writers were influenced by Babylonianism. Okay, I reject that way of thinking about things. Um, the fact that Babylonians had certain understandings of the demonic realm doesn't make it untrue. Okay, it doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't mean that the, the gospel writers could have assessed ba the Babylonian doctrine of demons and been like, they're actually right about that. And I think as a Christian, we're totally fine with that because what we would say is that the gospel is the foreign message to the world. Okay, the, the gospel that God became flesh, lived a sinless life, died for the redemption of the world, that is a message that no one else has. But I'm totally fine with the idea that the Babylonians had good knowledge about demons. Okay, just like I'm totally comfortable, I'm totally comfortable with the fact that the Babylonians had knowledge of God's law, like they actually knew that it was wrong to murder. Okay, because I think God's law was written on the hearts of people. Right, so I'm always fine with non-Christians have knowledge of everything below the gospel. Okay, just so y'all know, that's that's okay. That's knowledge that we share with all people. In fact, that's what you can appeal to when you do evangelism. Right. Um, that's something that you would have in common with, with someone. Um, I mentioned this one particular demon named Lilith. Anybody ever go to Lilith Fair? Wasn't that a deal back in the day? Like Fiona Apple would play at Lilith Fair? Come on! It's still around? Well, apparently it's demonic. No, no, no. I'll preach at the gates, okay? I'll hold up signs, preach at the gates. Um, Lilith was the night monster, quote-unquote, the night monster mentioned in the latter passage. Um, it's a well-known Babylonian demon that later occupies a large place in rabbinic literature. Again, I'm not that interested in what the rabbis say. It is arguably in, I think, one of the Psalms, maybe Psalm, nah, it's not 91, but it might be 91. According to later Jewish teaching, the favorite haunts of demons are desert places, lonely or ruined houses, graveyards, and unclean places generally. So that's interesting. It gives us a little bit of insight into New Testament thought, right? For example, the most famous demoniac in the, in the Synoptic Gospels and the Gospels is the Gerasene, or Gadarene, depending on the translation, demoniac. 
That's the guy that has legion of demons and they get cast out into the swine. Okay. Well, that kind of makes sense. I mean, they, it, was, it was thought that demons occupied places like graveyards and such. Uh, we've indicated that the Gospels show traces of belief that all forms of sickness and disease are the result of spirit operations. We've talked about that before. Okay, This is assumed when you read the Gospels, this is part of the assumption of these people. You know, And again, I, I, I want you to be trained to distinguish between the way in which all evil is demonic, right, in the broad, the broad understanding of the fallen creation, and yet we want to be careful not to attribute everything to some kind of specific demon, right? That can, say, be cast out, for example. Okay, so if someone has cancer, we wouldn't say, as often happens in the charismatic movement today, oh, well, we've got to pray for you and we're going to cast that demon out. you got the demon of cancer or the demon of this, or the demon of that, blah, blah, blah. We're going to cast it out. Anybody ever seen those... Um, there's this guy, he's like a heavy metal musician, and he'll take some event, like somebody preaching or somebody talking at a school board meeting was one I saw recently, and he writes music to sort of superimpose it. So it's like this spoken word thing with heavy metal. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Well, no, he, 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 it's hard, it's hard to explain. So, but one, one example is he took Kenneth Copeland. Y'all know who Kenneth Copeland is? All right. Kenneth, he's a nutto. Um, he's, talk about demonic. Seriously, man, you can see it in the eyes, you know. Um, so Kenneth Copeland, you know what? Next week we're watching this video. But Kenneth Copeland at the start of COVID did this whole thing. He killed COVID. Just Google this. He blew it away and he talked to get it. And, and it was so stupid and insane. But this is where things have gone. This is how we've gone off course with our understanding of demons. He think that if you could name it, right, like there's a demon of COVID, then you have power over it, which like, we kind of agree with in principle, right? But we don't go... But I would say that something like illness is in the demonic realm, but I, that, that I don't think that it's going to be conquered by some charismatic guy, capital C charismatic, blowing it away. You know, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Prayer hankies comes up in just a moment because that that is that does have a yeah. Right, right, right. If you. If you recall, one of the reasons I gave for teaching this class was I had one question that I wanted to answer, which is, can demons do miracles as well? Uh, and I mean good miracles, like curing cancer. And, and, and I, the reason it came up is I watched a documentary about an obviously fraudulent, wicked man who claimed to have the power to heal the sick. And he created this whole uh, community in Brazil for decades around, you know, people came from all over the world to be healed by him. Okay, and long story short, he's a fraud, but there were people who had what seemed to be legitimate claims of miraculous healing. So then I wondered, well, he's not of God, he's of, he's demonic. Okay, 
So can demons do these temporary miracles to draw people into the occult? And I'm still not like 100% on that even after the study, but I'm, I'm actually leaning toward yes, um, that, uh, that God actually, um, that demons actually have some power, and it could be illusory. Like it could be the miracle of the cancer isn't actually cured, but it seems to be cured. But if someone disagreed with that, I would not take any offense at that at all. Yeah. The, 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 the main problem, the main argument against it would be that how can demons do something good, right? How can demon? And so my argument for it would be something like, well, but if demons can do something that appears to be good for the longer goal of bringing people into occultism, you know, and so to kind of summarize that whole thing, you know, what, what I would say about demon and casting out demons and the Kenneth Copelands of the world and the false you know, healers of the world and all that, what I would say is that our call in battling the spiritual demonic realm is to trust in Christ for the things that Christ gives. And Christ doesn't give cures to cancer necessarily, right, on demand. Does Christ cure cancer? Sometimes, miraculously, yes. And does he cure cancer when your body dies and stops being a host to the cancer and yet you live forever and you'll have a resurrected body? Yes. So understand, it's that next level of understanding or maturity or whatever you want to call it. But um, that, that is the call in the face of the, demo- of, of the reality of the demonic, is that we trust that, um, that what God has provided is sufficient. Okay, Not that we get what we want right now. That's being a petulant child, you know. Um, so we'll, we'll continue looking at the New Testament and we'll finish this book for sure next week and look at some other topics in the other book, but, um, hopefully that was good stuff.